Welcome on in, Bleeding, Claret and Cobalt, Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale. Kind of a season wrap-up edition. Honored to be joined by the five-time world champion, Rob Zarcos, Executive Vice President of Soccer Operations for Real Salt Lake. And, and we'll get into some pretty big-picture club both review and preview stuff, looking back at where we were a year ago, looking back at how Academy, Monarchs, First Team all coexist and support each other. And uh, we'll talk about uh, everything from roster construction to culture to uh, success on and off the field. So thank you for tuning in. Download, listen, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. You're listening. Bleeding, Claren Cobalt, brought to you by One Wire Fiber. Hey guys, just a big shout out to our friend Adam Sessions and One Wire Fiber. We would not be able to bring you Bleeding Claret and Cobalt every week, every month without their great support. So you wouldn't want all your RSL news information coming from some distant out-of-state people that don't care about this community. So why would you rely on your voice, video, text for business coming from one of these big companies that literally don't care about you. If you don't own a business, but your friends do, your family does, you got to reach out to these guys because the level of customer service, of support, attention to detail from One Wire Fiber is immense. And we all know how fast the world is moving these days. If our phones, our computers, if our connectivity is not functioning properly, you just feel completely stuck in the water. And Adam and One Wire Fiber, they will figure it all out for you so you don't have to. The number one, W-I-R-E dot C-O, One Wire Fiber, they will take care of you. They care about this community. They care about this club. And they care about you. All right, everybody. Uh, before we get to the Rob Zarcos interview that we teased in the preview, RSL made public the roster decisions earlier today so let's go through that with ryan and i basically uh, the team for 2023 as it stands today will return 26 players including 13 homegrowns we'll get into that effectively six options were declined and three players are currently in discussions uh, that are out of contract but are discussing new deals uh, with RSL. So the six options declined, Ryan, are Tate Schmidt and Chris Garcia, former RSL homegrowns, uh, 2021 Super Draft pick Brett Halsey, and veteran MLS defender Johan Kappelhoff. Also, Nick Beesler, who had been a longtime member of this club, with both Monarchs and the first team. And then Bobby Wood uh, saw their options decline. So six players, Schmidt, Garcia, Halsey, Kapelhoff, Beesler, and Wood had their options declined. Three guys out of contract, but in discussion. So that's Marcelo Silva, that's Sergio Cordova, and that's the backup goalkeeper, Tomas uh, Gomez. So uh, Silva were the captain's armband, I think, all but maybe two of the 30 games that um, Demir missed this year. Cordova, obviously the Golden Boot winner on loan from Augsburg. His uh, loan spell has effectively ended. 
but RSL, Augsburg, and Cordova are in discussions trying to figure out um, if he will be here for 2023. And then uh, Tomas Gomez, I think a 28-year-old, 29-year-old backup goalkeeper. He was uh, Zach's backup for almost the entire year with the Ochoa situation happening around them. So basically, if you look at who is back as of right now for next year, Gavin Beavers, Jeff Dusnip, Zach McMath in goal. Andrew Brody, Zach Farnsworth, Justin Glad, Aaron Herrera, Eric Holt, Brian Oviedo, Haziel Orozco amongst the defenders on MLS deals. Midfield, you have Julio Benitez, Scott Caldwell, Michael Chang, Bodie Hidalgo, Demir Krylock, Jasper Loffelson, Diego Luna, Brian Ojeda, Pablo Ruiz, and Jude Wellings. And then on the attacking end, Anderson Julio, Axel Kai, Justin Miram, Danny Musovsky, Rubio Rubin, and of course Jefferson Savarino. The off-season calendar, let's get into this real quick too because this will affect certain things. MLS Cup is on Saturday, November 5th. The Monday after MLS Cup on the 7th, a 48-hour trade window opens. So that's the morning of November 7th through the morning of November 9th. The expansion draft as St. Louis comes in the league next year. Remember, St. Louis will be in the West. Nashville will move back to the East. So that expansion draft is on Friday, November 11th, so less than a week after MLS Cup. Those protected and eligible lists, I think, will be made public uh, on or around the day before. So let's say Thursday, November 10th. Uh, free agency will open on Wednesday, November 16th. So that's the following week. You'll have reentry draft one, reentry draft two. You'll have end of year waivers all happening uh, between, let's say, November 16th and uh, November 22nd, which is the week of Thanksgiving. The college super draft will take place after the World Cup on Wednesday, December 21st. Uh, so right before Christmas, and then we'll start preseason the first week of January, like 5th, 6th, 7th, something like that. Um, they haven't confirmed all those dates. And then the season will kick off February 25th. So, um, Ryan, anything crazy stand out to you about the moves announced by RSL? Um, I wouldn't say crazy. I think if there's some that are going to be tough to see go, I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's a couple of those names that I'm like, it's been a bit... Been a big part of RSL for a little while. Yeah. Um, it's never easy to see that kind of thing happen. But, uh, you know, holding on to the players that are here, like I think, you know, obviously, you know, you can see that there's a core of players, you know, built around Jefferson Sabarino, I think, is going to be where, where this is going. And I, I, I feel like that's kind of where a lot of us who've been watching have, have been, that's, that's what we want to see. So we want to see that core stay together. Hopefully, there's some things that are, um, I don't know. It leaves a lot of options, I think, for the offseason. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we're going to have Robin here a little bit later, but uh, he's going to kind of, you know, maybe not map out exactly where they're going, but like uh, give you some idea that there's there's some things on the docket for sure. Um, this big long, I wonder, I'm, I'm curious, like, how this long offseason is going to affect the, the, the transfer window. If this gives, is if, because I know that like there's no off season for the front office, yeah. and there's not like they're not, they don't only watch when there's not games playing. But I wonder if there's going to be if this does open up an opportunity to see some players that maybe wouldn't have been, you know, in the in the spotlight or something that may be available. Just because you know we're talking. Yeah, that's a good question because 
you know, my initial instinct is that we're not always shopping for guys that are playing in World Cups. Maybe we're closer um, now as the league has improved, as we have solid ownership, um, maybe more resources potentially. Um, but the but like the club season is going to end earlier because everybody's taking a break from mid-November to mid-December because of the World Cup. Um, you know, the big decisions are Cordova, either doing another loan deal with Augsburg or buying him from Augsburg. Um, no decision needs to be made on Brian Ojeda's loan because it doesn't expire until next July. Um, Demir Krylock coming back, hopefully healthy, uh, will be, I think, a huge addition to a, a group. Again, he... I think had three starts and five appearances this past year. None after mid-April. Um, I'm excited to see how some of these guys that came in during the year blossom or progress with a preseason with this team. Specifically Diego Luna, but also Brian Oviedo, Brian Ojeda, Anderson Julio, if he can be healthy, because he wasn't this past year. Um, Danny Musovsky, same thing. Um, how will those guys look? And then as 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 we'll talk about with Rob is, okay, out of this young group that maybe saw some spot duty or thrived in many ways at the Monarchs, how will those guys progress for next year? And that's Haziel Orozco. That's Axel Kai. That's... Um, Gavin Beavers potentially. It's Bodie Hidalgo, who we saw um, really drastically improve, I think, over the course of 2022. Um, even a guy like Jasper Loffelsund, um, who had zero expectations last year, ended up starting, I think, half the season. You know, um, how is his mentality, physicality, engine skill like how is that all going to progress and then um you know a guy like rubio rubin who was never really healthy until the very very end uh scored a goal in his last regular season game a critical goal against portland um you know it's sad to see a guy like tate schmidt go beesler bobby wood you know got a lot of affection for what those guys did in in their couple years here Obviously, Beasler more than a couple. Yeah, Beasler. Um, let's shout out Beasler, the captain of the Monarchs. Yeah, and, you know they did some pretty amazing things. And Tate, he's been a soldier for this club. Oh yeah, and then yeah, what he's done for RSL it can't be like diminished, uh, especially last year, a year ago, all of the minutes he put in. Yeah, kind of going into the beginning of the season, and uh, I think that like one of the things people will say he may not have been a first choice, but like most things that have happened with RSL. The guy who stepped into next man up, yeah, performed way above expectations. I think that's if you're talking about <laughs> Nick Beasley, I think that's that's exactly where he fits. Tate Schmidt, I think, um, you know, homegrown, did a lot of did a lot of work for the the Monarchs. Kind of, uh, we saw him kind of blossom this year, yeah. And I feel like maybe didn't find a place where he fit exactly where he needed to be. I think he's going to find a spot. I don't, I have no doubt that Tate Schmidt is going to be somebody who. You know, just needs to get out of his head a little bit, and when he, when he finds a spot that he's 
comfortable. I think we're going to see like, unfortunately probably be maybe not against us, but maybe like, yeah. you know, on teams that are, that are on a, the other side of the table or whatever. But, but Tate Schmidt has all of the key, all of the elements to make him a big player. Bobby Wood. I'm just going to say Bobby Wood is, a uh, um, obviously, you know, everybody here is pulling for him and things don't, I mean, he's, there's a lot of things that go along with Bobby Wood. And I think yeah. he's ultimate, like the potentials through the roof. I think that like, you know, I think we're glad to have him here for whatever, you know, I just, you know, hope for the best for that guy too, but. Yeah, and I, you know Bobby was just on a big number for next year. He's had two injury riddled seasons. Uh, I mean, he's a he's a he's a his body is you know got the career of a, a you know a soccer player. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's it, been so. a pro for fourteen fifteen years. Um, obviously, we hope he gets healthy. You know, he's potentially, I guess, a guy that depending on how much of a pay cut he's willing to take and the opportunities he's willing to look at, could he be back here? At some day, maybe. Um, probably the same with any of these guys. I'm sure the message to Tate Schmidt is something like, you need to go somewhere where you're going to be able to play every day, week in, week out. Um, because with Brody, Oviedo, Herrera, um, maybe the emergence of Bodie Hidalgo as a as a extremely solid um, option. Maybe maybe Tate just needs to change the scenery. I, I don't yeah. know. Well, I would just say that the the competition for his position is high, and I think that that showed with the the success that was on the field. Um, I think this kind of does kind of uh, go into like what we were seeing with like Jasper and and Bodie. Um, you know, the the opportunities to get on the field and to make a difference. I mean. I mean, technically, I mean, we saw that with, uh, you know, we, we see this a lot of young players. I think that's kind of one of the things that, that MLS does pretty well is it gives these guys that are maybe not a traditional, like, pathway, gives them an opportunity to put on the um, on the field and then to have some success. Hoping to see that with Diego Luna, like, that he's, you know, given that same, you know, has that same boost that I think guys like Jasper and Bodie definitely got. And even, I'll, I'll even say Tate, Tate got that, you know, like, put him on a, put him on a big uh, stage and let him perform and, you know, he puts goals in when he needs to, but that's yeah. the thing is like, I think that there's a lot, RSL is like a lot of MLS teams, I think is a very good platform, very good, you know, launching pad for a lot of these young players. And obviously a lot can happen between now and you know, let's say January 5th when preseason begins now and February 25th when the season begins. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, obviously, Krylock's return to health how complete or how expedited that becomes. Because I'm sure, honestly, like he's here in Harriman right now working out every day, training with the Monarchs, training with guys, working with the medical staff. Like his goal is to be 100% by uh, the beginning of preseason. So knock on wood, that happens. Um Obviously, a lot of these guys, these 26 that are retained, um, are spread out across the globe on two- to four-week training stints. Uh, Diego Luna is going to have, at some point in the offseason, some U-20 responsibilities. He's got a big year with the U-20 World Cup next year. Um, So he might miss a lot of the first half of next season. Uh, Remember, MLS is taking a month-long break in – late July to late August for the League's Cup, which now is a legitimate competition that has CONCACAF Champions League spots um, on the line. And then we're going to see what is, what, is, what are Elliot and Kurt and, and the club 
able to do uh, during the primary transfer window, which I think goes from early February to the end of April. Like it's a long window. Um, ideally, you're getting guys in as early as possible to train in preseason. Then they can become official at the beginning of that window, which I think is a couple weeks before uh, the first MLS match. So um, a lot of potential, a lot of young guys that are kind of unknowns right now in terms of at what level can they consistently contribute and compete uh, in Major League Soccer. Because a lot of these young guys, even though they're on MLS deals, uh, many of them will probably need another year or so with the Monarchs, you know. Julio Benitez, uh, Jude Wellings for sure. Um, you know, Farnsworth, where's he at on his ankle recovery, which has knocked out most of the last couple of years. Um, Julio Orozco um, obviously did pretty well in his 345 minutes with RSL this year. Uh, played both the six and center back with the Monarchs this year. Had some injury in concussion issues late in the year. Uh, Axel Kai. How does he take uh, his Atlas performance and everything that he learned at the academy level, at the Monarchs level, et cetera, and uh, package it into preseason? Um, Then you've got other guys. I mean, whether you're Justin Miram or Michael Chang, Rubio Rubin, Zach McMath. uh, We talked about Musovsky, Caldwell, Julio. um, Herrera ended this year with a little bit of an injury bug. Um, there's just a lot of guys here that uh, are going to have a ton of opportunity in 2023 to to continue to grow. And as you'll hear me say and many, many say, um, Ryan, success is not linear. So we see that with Andrew Brody. saw that with Pablo Ruiz. saw that with a lot of guys on this roster, even Justin Glad. I mean, how many years did, did Freddie or Pecky bench Justin Glad the final couple games of the year in, in playoffs, and then he turns out finally this year to be the first ever homegrown to be named MVP by his teammates and obviously had a world-class year. Um, really wish Greg Berhalter would take a look at him, but that's a subject for another pod. To be a fan of this team, especially this year, it's been yeah. it's been a roller coaster for sure. Like we've definitely like we've documented that yeah. you know week in and week out. But I think that the things that have been cultivated here and the things that are that are here, like this is a team with some history. This is a team with some identity. This is a team that has a definite direction and a team that's like got some pretty great potential. So I think that, like you talk about, I don't know. Whenever you talk about Justin Gladden, it's this thing like, yeah, let's. As much as I, you know, I, we're lucky to have a guy like that on this team. We have somebody who's a, uh, you know, this is a. It's what we got from Nick and Kyle. You know, we're getting yeah. that from we're getting that from um, Justin, and yeah, I do. And as much as I say that, yeah, I'm like, I, I scratch my head every time I see his name omitted from some of those, you know, lists of players and the team's get, names getting called up, and uh, that's unfortunate. But I think you know, to our benefit here as fans, we've we've been able to have Justin around all the time. So yeah, I don't think that I hope Justin understands how much the fans here appreciate him and like you right. know, that we're. You know, we're lucky to have a guy like him on this team. Well, and it, it shouldn't go without stating, like, seeing Jefferson Saverino for 35 games instead of half of that as we did this year, I think he's on par with Drusy, Hani Mukhtar, like the MVP candidates. If he had a full season, like, you look at some of his stats bomb numbers, the XG plus XA, like – all these things, he's right there. And if Elliot and, and Pablo and those guys go out and find 
another difference maker to free him up a little bit. And I don't know if that's a nine. I don't know if that's a winger. I don't know if it's a six. I don't know if that's a ten. Um, obviously, I think you think you you kind of have your tens in Demir and, and Luna, but you you know, there's so much malleability and flexibility on this roster, as we saw late in the year. A lot of guys can play a lot of different positions, but getting Savarino on the ball, where he can either set himself up or set up others, um, and having having options is going to be. Uh, critical for 2023 success. I want to throw another name in there to what uh, Savarino was reminding me of as Puig. Yeah. There's a lot of, I don't think they play the same exact position, but they, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of similarities. Like I was watching an LA Galaxy game where they wouldn't stop talking about Puig. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of paying attention. I'm like, yeah. it looks like Savarino. I, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if you noticed that. Like, I mean, it kind of, he has the same, like the same mannerisms, some of the same, like, sure. find him in the same places, find him on the ball in the same situations. Yeah. Like, in fact, like, you know, him against RSL, the the times that he was doing, like, that he was making difference, like getting fouls and things like that. Sure. It was like in the same situations that you see Savarino. And I think Savarino may, have i mean he's a little more refined i think yeah than maybe and that's somebody who's comes with a, a lot of like you know a lot of well, he comes from a very distinct lineage sure here. like it, so i think i mean we are lucky to have somebody like that Sovereign, what i'm saying i guess the point of that is that if sovereigno's at la yeah. the camera's on him the whole game yeah. they're talking about what a rare talent he is sure the fact that he's here and at in rsl means that we're the ones that like are always yelling about him and nobody's sure. listening to us but well, and uh, you and you want to see Savarino be I think as assertive as we saw Puig be, and look, he's coming from Barcelona. I still don't know how LA got him on the salary cap when he was guaranteed four and a half million at Barcelona this year. But Vanny and those guys are very uh, uh, offended by any uh, implications of uh, malfeasance. But I, to me, he he's a deeper lying, or he comes from a deeper position, Savarino. But man, Jefferson. You want to see him be more assertive, more aggressive, grab the bull by the horns and say, I'm the man, I'm going to take this team. And maybe that's going to be a little easier for him to do when Demir's on the field with him or somebody else is on the field or Diego Luna is a little more uh, confident, mature at this level. I don't know. I'm excited because he obviously does so much and brings so much. And, you know, that goal he had against Portland in the last game of the year um, for, for the regular season at home. Um, it's spectacular, and he clearly made Sergio better. He clearly made everybody around him better. And uh, again, having a full preseason, being here from the beginning, hopefully developing that that fitness base, that tactical understanding base. He did commit all of his effort to both sides of the ball this year, which I don't think we saw in his previous stint with RSL. I think he kind of didn't have to care about the defensive side of the ball. I know he likes to be um, free on that right wing in Rome, but he was effective on the left. He was effective underneath. He was effective centrally. Um, So hopefully RSL. And the other thing you mentioned, uh, Ricky Puig, I wouldn't say he was completely invisible in that second-to-last game against us, but, man, Brian Ojeda did a great job of just being kind of in his pocket that whole game and not making anything easy because the Galaxy games prior uh, to the RSL game, he was 
allowed a ton of freedom and ran roughshod. And obviously he's a quality player, but man, Brian Ojeda did such a great job on him. And that's just another guy that having him here from day one is going to be a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, just a quick question. Do you have any idea like what the player's responsibilities are as far as like connected to the team in this like five month off season? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a 10 week off season, which is about four weeks longer than normal. Every guy left with a fitness plan. A lot of guys are still here. Um, obviously Oviedo is, is going to play, uh, with Costa Rica in the world cup. So he'll probably need a little bit of rest at the beginning of preseason. I would imagine, although depending when Costa Rica is, is eliminated, he may have a month, three weeks. Um, I don't know, like if Ojeda is going to go with Paraguay or if Sergio and Jefferson are going to go with Venezuela and if they're playing, any kind of tune-up games against World Cup teams, uh, that's pretty common. So I haven't seen their schedule, but um, a lot of guys are going to be back here early. A lot of guys are here now. Um, like I said, Demir is here every day rehabbing. Um, there's plenty of other guys that are they're utilizing the infrastructure and the facilities to get fit and to get ready for next year. So um, the sports performance group did put together customized plans for each guy and depending on your injury situation, your age, uh, all those things, uh, for some guys, it's about ramping down for some guys, it's recovery for other guys, it's building a foundation. Um, but whatever it is, it's, it's with the goal of being ready to go on, on January 5th or 6th and, and, and really being ready to, uh, compete at this level with points on the line on February 25th. All right, now we will get to the guest, the man of the hour, RSL EVP, Rob Zarkos, making his fifth all-time appearance in two years on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt right here, brought to you by One Wire Five. Rob Zarkos, the man, the myth, the legend, right here in studio with Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale, Bleeding Claret Cobalt. Rob, I think you are now at two more appearances than any other guests in our nearly two-year history of this podcast. How does that make you feel? Uh, well, first, you have that intro down pat, man. Like uh, I'm really impressed by it. You just like spit it all out, so that was, that was great. Um, it makes me feel good. Uh, except that I asked you to put me on so I can be the fifth. So <laughs> hey, I appreciate it. But your wish is my command. Do you remember uh, SNL where they give a five timers jacket? That's really why I did it. So um, I'm a 42 regular. Christmas is right around the corner. Uh, and I'd like I'd like the logo of your podcast. You know, oh, in the pocket. Yeah, logo in development. Okay, thank you. <laughs> no, thanks for having me, man. It's always fun to sit down and talk. So to you. obviously, we're just ten days removed from. Uh, the playoff game in Austin, and I'm sure we'll we'll touch on on some of that and uh, kind of a roller coaster season if you look at on and off the field. But I think where I want to start is think about where we were a year ago at this time, and in some ways that seems like five years ago, and in some ways it seems like five weeks ago. I think if you look back to October of of 2021, but how would you kind of describe that roller coaster ride between? Last year's playoff run, Pablo going from interim to permanent head coach, ownership, all the player acquisitions we made, 
the growth of the academy, Monarch's first year in MLS Next Pro, 17 straight sellouts, Open Cup disappointment, a, a bizarre kind of Leagues Cup showcase game that featured Aaron Herrera's 78-yard goal. I mean, there's a million places to go, but just, I think, where are you at from a 30,000-foot view of, of the last 365 days? Well, I think the biggest change we had was, you know, for 18 months, we had the league as, as an owner, which was, was interesting, but but hamstring. I mean, last year's miracle run really was a miracle given all the limitations we had, but you know, it, it's a testament to Real Salt Lake. I mean, it's it's done to the people, and, and look, of course, it's front office, Elliot, Tony, Kurt. But I'm talking about the guys that work game day. I'm talking about you know every single part of it. It's everybody's collectively into the club, loves the club, and I think that's a big deal. And I think a lot of clubs get stuck in some politics, or you have this huge separation between the team in the business side or team and stadium operations, but it's just a collective, like roll your sleeves up mentality that I think's permeated the club for years. I mean, even when you got, you guys first came in, it was that blue collar, let's get stuff done. And I, I think that's what we always have been and what will continue to be despite the growth in the league, despite the growth of the Academy, it comes down to the mentality and the people in the club. Right. And, and I think we have really, really, really good people across the board, not just on the yeah. team side, which is incredible. You know, the, the team feels supported, whether at the at the facility or at the stadium. You know, everybody's such good people that if you work in merchandise and you come by and say hi to the coach or you say something to the players, they're always wanting to stop and talk to you. I mean, I think that's special, and that's what's special about Salt Lake. I think the big difference is new ownership group, support of ownership group, the vision they have and the reach that they have is just turbocharged this club. How would you, I guess describe the interaction of that vision with the culture that's kind of naturally grown over the years. Cause, and, and look, I get, we're all fans, right? And we're all, we all want hardware, but to me, as somebody that's been around this league for a long time, making playoffs in four of the last five years with three different head coaches, winning playoff games with three different head coaches, but three different ownership groups, three different playoff formats, like the volatility that surrounds us, I think is maybe sort of dissipated because we're all just, you know, myopically in our own little world here. But you look around the league and whether it's teams that have spent a ton of money on DPs or teams that have invested in their academy or not, we just seem to kind of find a way. And having, I guess, the stability that the new ownership would offer along with like their vision to not come in and break everything up and take everything over, but to hopefully, you know, put it on steroids or whatever the right uh, metaphor is. I guess just how would you kind of um, describe your experience with that, with taking everything we've done? Um, Ryan is local. Blitzer is not. Obviously we've, we're, we've started interacting with the jazz uh, we'll talk about the training stints for 16 different kids at the six different Blitzer clubs uh, overseas this off season. So um, I guess, how would you kind of describe that yin and yang? You know, I think that they were very clear when they came in. I mean, we had a, remember we had that all staff meeting yeah. at the training facility and they said, listen, you guys should be a case study for kind of what you did with, without. Um, we're not here to blow everything up. We're going to kind of tell you where our vision is, where we want to go. And 
let's see how the year goes and let's move forward. I, you know, and, and, you know, our representation from ownership is a gentleman named Scott Crace, who, who understands the vision globally of all of the soccer holdings where we want to go and has, has really said, Hey, look, I see what you're doing, but how does that fit into X, Y, and Z? And he's really been the visionary of the integration and, and, uh, but they've been, they understand the value of culture. And, and I think they understand that across our clubs and that actually, you know, when we talk uh, about other clubs and we have our weekly meetings, um, it's always, we love what you guys are doing. This is what we expect from all our clubs. So that's kind of great, right? Like it's culture first, sure. right? And, and, um, I think we've done a good job of that. I think that we'll continue to do a good job of that, but that's necessary. And, and, you know, sports is rough, man. It's, it's, you know, people come and go, things change. It's all about, you know, production at the end of the day, whether on and off the field. But I think you can still have that with a great culture. How would you describe, because you're in a very unique position, um, and I'm very focused on first team, and, and I try to watch and listen and learn when I can what's happening, you know, with the Monarchs and the Academy, and obviously it's been a year of change and business side, front office, all that stuff. But how would you kind of describe the way culture flows maybe from Pablo and the first team down, but also, you know, we've got kids from all over the United States coming into our academy, moving up. You've been integral in bringing people in, bringing leaders in, moving people around. I mean, bringing Jordan Allen back is great. Obviously having Homison with the Monarchs for as long as he's been there is, is uh, that stability, that institutional knowledge is, is invaluable. Um, so how would you describe the way culture uh, rises and falls throughout the pyramid? That's a really interesting question. Because you know, it's not something you can manipulate. It's not something no. you can dictate. Look, you know, the, the, the corporate, Mantra is always, you know, culture comes from the head of the snake. Mm. That's true in some senses, um, but if you're bringing new people in those roles, they have to buy into that. However, I, I would say a lot of this comes down to coming from the players first. Mm. We have several players who've been here for a very long time. I mean, Tony played his entire career here. Right. So having him come from the on-the-field culture and bringing that over in into the, in the front office, which we've tried to mimic anyway, mm-hmm. it's just a continuation. Bringing guys like Jordan in and giving them space to grow and Hamison giving them space to grow into their role, they already have the culture piece, mm-hmm. right? So it's, okay, let's give them everything they can to grow into their positions. Let's give them everything we can to be successful. But we know the baseline of those people is the cultural aspect because they're there. Look right. in the front office. And, you know, I know there's always an argument about recycling and that's one way to look at it from the outside. But on the other side, you're bringing that baseline culture throughout the organization. So it's not, it's not just on a stilt, right? It's got a great base mm-hmm. across. And, you know, people do leave or they go on to the next job or, or they go into a different career because the hours are insane. But the base you have is sustainable long term. And, and again, look at some of those people from the time we won the championship that are still here and they understand the mentality and the hard work it takes to do that. And now they're bringing it into a new space within the club. But again, the key is giving them a little bit of breathing room to grow into it. Nobody's complete when they come into a job, yeah. right? And I'd argue you're never complete. Sure. Tony had a steep learning curve on on business operations, soccer operations. But you know what he had 
at the baseline of all of that, his attitude, his work ethic, sure. you know, the thing that made them successful on the field. Um, and even if you move people up within, you know, more on the business side of soccer, the business side over, uh, you know, revenue generation, et cetera. I do like internal hires if you can, because they understand what it is. And, and I'll tell you where I really saw that is I went to visit Wolfsburg about three years ago. Mm. The city is very comparable to Salt Lake. Difference is VW basically right. runs the city, right? Because right. that's where they're, where they're located. They own part of the team. But their imperative was to give people ch chances. And there's a lot of players there that played and never left, and now they're part of the organization. It was so integral to the culture mm -hmm. of, the, of the club. And I, and I think that's kind of the difference here uh, in Salt Lake. And I think that's one of the things that allows us to be successful. You know, because for so long, we weren't growing at a rate where you could provide those opportunities, right? Um, obviously adding the Monarchs in 2015, which you spearheaded, uh, bringing the Academy from Arizona to Salt Lake in late 17, early 18 has been huge. Building the Harriman facility has just created what I still think of as a just massive, steep learning curve, but just a massive rate of growth for the overall club. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when I moved to Utah after having never been here and we had 25 players, five coaches, maybe 20 people selling tickets and sponsorship and doing everything else in the front office. And that's kind of how we were um, even once we moved into the stadium. We were a really small, small uh, club, but there was always that inherent, I, I, I don't know if underdog spirit is the right way to look at it, little engine that could, but there was a belief that, Hey, as long as we're all rowing in the same direction, we can make one plus one equal three. And I feel like a lot of that is still intact, even when David Blitzer or Ryan Smith or, or their people that have been involved in so many different setups across so many different leagues and sports um, are, you know, giving you expertise or resources or opportunity to 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 try to i guess provide multipliers if you will so yeah i think i think you're gonna have to keep that to be successful no matter how big you get that's that's the trick so it's funny but i wasn't thinking about this until right now like somebody asked elliot this is based off of like last week's exit interviews right right aaron herrera was vocal but several guys said this hey we're tired of being the cinderella being the underdog being you know, not having expectations, which I think is interesting because you see a lot of athletes in a lot of sports complain about the weight of expectations, especially unreasonable ones. But, um, you know, Aaron's comments really stood out. And I think it was the Tribune writer that asked Elliot, like, do you think you'll ever get to that point? And, and Elliot had a very interesting answer. Like, no matter how dominant our team becomes, and look, I think we've got a great core we're we're on a great trajectory. Hopefully we can grab a couple difference makers. The six acquisitions we made in season this year, I think were phenomenal. Um, and we'll get into all that, but we're still Salt Lake, right? We're still a small market. So no matter we're still in the mountain time zone, you know, we're never gonna be New York, New York, LA, LA, Toronto, Seattle, Miami. Um, but that's okay. Like 
I, I don't know. I mean, we, even during our heyday, and this was part of Elliot's answer, you know, from 2009 to 2014, we might have been the best team in the league. We had five straight 15-win, 50-point seasons. We were the West two or three seed. Again, there's that consistency, and, and I'm very proud of the fact we've made the playoffs 12 times in 15 years and that we have the most dominant home field advantage since we moved into what is now America First Field and all that. But, um, you know, a lot of people don't appreciate that. It's like, what have you done for me lately? You haven't, you didn't win a trophy. You tanked out of the Open Cup or whatever. Like, people get super extreme, and that's just the world we live in now, right? Like, um, the post-fact era. <laughs> but, I don't know. You know, I, I always have a, a take on this that's probably not popular. Like, that's the reason sports teams are here is for people to have opinions and mm. talk about it and be online and, and say what they think and how they do something. I think that shows support for the club. Sure. You know, and okay, you know, you know, we, we always talk about this. I don't have social media, so you always tell me stuff, but great. We're being talked about. And the fact is, is I appreciate that they're so passionate mm. that they have an opinion on things because that means we're relevant in the market. And listen, you know, you may not agree with everything we do. And that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome because you care, right? And I'd rather have that than nothing. And and look, you know, let's have those 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 meetings that you have the town halls. Let's talk about it. But I appreciate it. And and sure. back to your question, I agree with you. I look, I know where Aaron's coming from. Listen, I don't want to come to the season. You tell me we're going to finish last. We know we're good. Mm -hmm. You should recognize that. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely fair. But again, we're not LA. We're not New York. Yeah. But we can do stuff that maybe they can't do in the consistency. And hopefully someone recognizes it. But if not, I don't care. Because yeah. like, that's not the point of this. The point is to get a pro product out that's fun, people can interact with. I mean, you saw this year when the guys were staying 30 minutes after the game, passing sure. out jerseys. That's what this is about. We're about the community. And we're we're here for Salt Lake. That's it. And that's the mantra mentality. Now, I do get this as a player where, where you're like, listen, man, we're doing good stuff and you're not recognizing that. I get it. And that's not something I think we can solve. It's just not we have to keep doing what we're doing. And like you said, have consistency, you know, put good products on the field, support the coach, see where he wants to go, have collaboration. There's, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, the conventional wisdom is you have to have some tension between the front office and the coach. I think that's not true. And I think you can have your voice. You guys can talk things out. You can disagree and shake and go out and do stuff. But at the end of the day, we got to pull the oar for each, each other. And that's what you said. Sure. That's why this place is successful. That's why it will be successful as long as that's maintained. So, Back to the comments, love them. Keep them coming because I want you to interact with the club and, and tell us what's going on. How razor thin are the margins in MLS? Because, you know, look, we were a team that I think won five of its final 20 games. Yeah. Pablo kept the locker room together. And it wasn't just Pablo. It, yeah. was, it was everybody from Justin Miram to Marcelo Silva to Bobby Wood to Demir who wasn't playing. I mean, and... One result either way, we could have been fourth or eleventh instead of seventh, where we ended up being. Um, that kind of parity, it doesn't exist in many leagues around the world, right? Like it's top four, top five, and then everybody else. In Spain, it's top two, generally right. maybe three in a good year. So, how would you? In Germany, it's top one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, how would you kind of look at that? Maybe differentiator 
for our situation in our league and and then that's where like you know the roster decisions just came out still have 13 homegrown players on our roster like there's only a couple other teams that have made that kind of commitment to squad development and and yeah, look, look not exactly I, I can't give the exact number yeah. but but I know that we did the analysis and we had our homegrown players t- played 10,000 minutes last season yeah it's most in the league that's incredible. Yeah. I think Dallas beat us, but but it depends on how you count it. But but again, that goes back to what we're talking about. And how do you keep it going? Listen, every team goes through slumps. I'd argue our slump, you know, we we were we had what, two point five million dollars sitting on the bench due to injury. Yeah. You know, that's in a league with parity and a salary sure. cap, that's huge. But you remember the uh the early two thousands Brett Boone Mariners? You remember yeah. there was a uh there were signs and chance it was two outs, so what? They just believe they're like, yeah, we're yeah. we're gonna get there. And that's that's the interesting thing about the club. Even <laughs> we're on the slide, it was like, yeah, no, we're gonna get through this. We're gonna make the playoffs. I mean, in the locker room, it felt like that. With the co- there was no hand wringing and sure. pulling your hair. It was like, yeah, okay, well, ah, that, that was tough. Okay, next game, yeah, we're gonna get it. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. be there. Yeah, no problem. And I know that frustrated a lot of our fans is when Pablo would talk about performance as opposed to result, because there are there were a million of those games where it felt like. We could have, you know, we just drop points, right? Whether yeah. it's Colorado at home, Toronto, Vancouver, D.C., even Cincinnati, you know, San Jose on the road, you get the one in Seattle. There were just so many games down the stretch where it's like one minute or one play. And, you know, Pablo loves to talk about, you know, there's 58 billion moments, moments during, game, a, yeah. during a game, but yeah. it's being ready for that one that makes ends up making the difference. So I how did for, you guys look at yeah. that? Because well, you guys obviously have a different perspective. <laughs> yeah, look, we... <laughs> You know the guys do game ratings, player ratings, and and you know there is like I'm not gonna lie, it's not like worry and frustration doesn't pop up because you think the team's good enough to mm-hmm. to get in the playoffs. Um, but again, it comes back to in the tough times. How do you react and how do you interact with each other? And we just believe in what Pablo's doing, what he was saying, and we could see it. And and you know we we thought that the moves in the summer were good, and and Elliot and Co had done a a great job. Um, I'll be honest with you. I thought we were going to make a run this year, mm. like we did last year. It felt the same. Sure. Um, you You're know, two minutes away in Austin. Yeah. Well, and the <laughs> the, red, the red card didn't help. And look, yeah. that's no indictment on on Rubio. Like yeah. that's that's the game. That's what happens. Um, but we a nine man or you know ten with a goalkeeper. Uh, we held them for how many minutes? I 57. mean, fifty-seven. So you know, while I would have loved, obviously, to make a further run. I was so happy after, like, 20 minutes after I wanted to light myself on fire. But after I, I could sit back and think, like, God, what a game Yeah. with that. And, again, we were sitting in the box with ownership, and the guys that unfortunately got injured this season, that's that's MLS. And, yeah. like, man, like, we're doing it. And, it. and it's not just the parody. It's the cap, right? So those things happen. Do you collapse or do you find a way? And, and look, we had some tough games after that with with Dami's injury and Bobby's injury. I mean, it's a big part of our squad and a big, sure. big part of results. Yeah. And the guys came together and just ground it out. And so that's positive going into yeah. next year, yeah. right? And, 100%. you know, sometimes you're in the thick of it, it's hard to look at that. And again, like after that game, head in hand, you're like, oh. But, you know, the days afterwards, you're like, man, that, that was a result. Right? Yeah, that that's when you talk about moments and and performance. That was a performance. I mean, 
Cello was a warrior yep. in that game, right? Yep. So is that a good base to build on and go forward? And and look, we all want to win. Like my dream is to get the triple crown. We've already run the championship for the monarchs, the academy. Sure. Can we get one? Yeah. You know, and we did in 09. I wasn't here, but like yeah. that would that'd be key, right? But at the end of the day, it's all about building and going forward and and what you're doing. I of course we would have liked to go further. I'm really happy with that game. When you look at the year and again, I'll go back to moments, but when I see Honestly, I don't think I've seen a player in all my 16 full seasons with this club improve from February 1 to October 1 like Bodie Hidalgo did. Uh, Diego Luna, we saw obvious improvement over the course of the year. Um, even Axel Kai, who I think we're all very um, trepidatious on putting a ton of expectations on a 14-year-old, his second half against Atlas was awesome. Um, so the thing about Axel, he's, he's that player that steps up for big moments. Yeah. That's just his thing. That's I fair. Mean, but like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm up. just saying like over the, like, these are the things that have me excited for next year. And then when we add in and we'll release the list, but we've got 16 guys from Academy Monarchs first team that are doing two to three to four week training stints with Crystal Palace, Augsburg, Audio Den Haag. Estoril in Portugal. I don't think we're sending anybody to Alcorcón in Spain, but that's another blitzer club. Um, and, and then obviously SK Beveren in Belgium, where Cablan came from and went back to Everton is at, and then having you know younger guys that just need new experiences, immersion. Like we've seen what Pablo Ruiz and Andrew Rohde did in six months in Austria, right? And having this these kinds of opportunities just entirely unique not just for our club but think how unique it is for Gavin Beavers to go spend 3 weeks at Crystal Palace and then and then having whether it's Arnold Reisenberg or Cody Warden or Andrew May or Jordan Allen or whoever the the Hamas and Alave you know the coaches from our clubs be able to go over there and gain knowledge wisdom perspective um it's just it just sounds very romantic to me i guess yeah, in terms like, of I'm our development i'm gonna start uh andrew brody for me is the epitome of what we want as a player at rsl the type of player we want you know brody went from the academy went to the monarchs wasn't quite ready to make that jump for the first team was like, hey guys, I, I feel like I'm maximized or I've maximized kind of my potential here. Was about to retire. We sent him to Europe because we we had a partnership. Thanks to you. Um, went over there, opened his mind on, okay, you know, this is how they train. This is what they do. I need to add this into what what I'm doing. Came back, you know, was in the first team. Injury got his chance. Defender of the year for us just fantastic but it's that grit and that mindset and i'm not going to quit and i'm going to do that what i have to do to get to the next level you know and and really if you can instill that down to the academy that's where that's where it really helps out having this family of clubs absolutely invaluable and special as you said we have 16 kids over there you know zach farnsworth is at beveren right now training train he was going to train with the u23 he's got moved to the first team to train after one session one right? session wow. right and and my you know i talked to Arnold. i talked to him this morning i talked to him last night hey how's everything going you know everything good and he's like yeah it's great i go 
okay, but how are we being represented over there as a club? But are they showing what we need also at RSL? Is it the mentality going into training, you know, not being a shy violet, just going in, hey, I'm here, but yeah. I'm gonna be respectful. I'm going to listen. I'm going to see how they do things different and bring that back across the board 100% happy with that, right? So the guys are going out there and, and showing who we are at a young age when they go over to those places. Um, I heard uh, a funny story from Arnold um, that that Christian and Bobby are, are over at Otto. And, Nidegger and yeah, Pierre. And they had a two-hour training session yesterday and a 40-minute lift afterwards. And, and look, that's more than ours, mm -hmm. generally. Can we take some lessons? Yes. We also have issues of distance of travel and recovery. I mean, there's things that sure. we have to do things different just because of the size of the U.S., but they were exhausted. And I said, well, how are they? He goes, they were so happy, right? So- but having that attitude, not not entitlement of, oh, I get to go to Augsburg, and then that's how you've made it. They're going in there with that blue-collar right. Real Salt-like attitude and killing it. You know, Lav's at uh, Estoril right now, and <laughs> here's another funny story. He uh, didn't like the hotel gym, so they gave him the keys to the first-team gym so he could work out because, you know. And we, we know Hamason needs a, <laughs> yeah. he has special gym needs. But that kind of relationship where we can go over and sure. they're happy to do that because they're part of the sister club. It just It's fantastic. And he's going over to see, okay, how do they develop? What are tips I can bring back here? What are you doing different? Okay, maybe we can incorporate this in. Hey, this is how we do things. Maybe there's something there. Just having the breadth to do that across different markets and different clubs and bringing that back to the investment we're making in the academy um, and building those players for RSL, right? Yeah. And, and look, you know, th there's a global market and, sure. you know, developing kids and, and perhaps I'm getting an opportunity in Europe and, and the sale of players, great. But the first look is, do these guys have the mentality and, and the RSL way on the player side? Sure. And can they get even better doing these things and bring stuff back? And, hey, guys, we train like this. When we're in training, we're going to do this, this, and this as leaders now. So you're creating a leadership aspect also. That depth and breadth of experience is just going to be so value, invaluable for Invaluable. Them. And you go back to Bodie. Sure. Bodie, for me, is on the Andrew Brody track. Mm. He was a midfielder in the academy. First year in the Monarchs, played midfield. You know, coaches, Kurt and Elliot sat down and said, hey, you know, I think – you're going to have a pathway if you move to right back. Now, a lot of players would freak out about that. No, 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 that's not my business. That's not what I do. And he just asked, honest, he goes, be honest with me. Is, is this a pathway for me? You're not just moving. We're going to say, absolutely, with your skill set, with your drive, your speed, all that stuff. So we moved to right back, right wing back, you mm -hmm. know, depending on how we yeah. play. Put the time in. Played two full seasons in that. You know, first few games were rough, but he learned it. Yeah. They worked, uh, coaches worked with him, you know, individually after training to work on that position. Got in that Atlas game. I would say he was the player of the match for sure. us in that. Sure, 100%. Incredible. Came in for us, got a yeah. goal yeah. in a game that really mattered. Yeah. So giving, it's back to giving that breathing space, right? But even as a player, you have to give that breathing space. You know, if you looked at him and said, okay, he's not going to make it as an eight. Yeah, okay, let's go look for someone else. No, no, no. He has skill sets and attributes we need if he moves here, let's sit down with him and discuss. Let's build a plan for him. Yeah. Let's give him space to do it. Let's give him first team training looks and then send him back and go, okay, you did this well. You didn't do this well. Let's let's do this down at the Monarchs. Let's work on those things. Okay, you got another chance. Okay, this was better. You worked on this. Still, let's do yeah. this. Go back down. And then when you get your shot, you take it, right? Those are the types of attitudes I think are important here. How would you describe maybe the jump you hope to see in MLS Next Pro from the first year this past year to 
how it could be more, I guess, closely integrated with our whole pyramid uh, in 2023. Because obviously it was it was yeah. late. There's a lot of growing pains, different than USL. It's a World Cup year, so you have a truncated schedule. There's just a lot of factors. Yeah, I, I, I was the most nervous out of anybody for switching leagues. I thought the USL had been very good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, you can argue whether a USL cup is important or not with the development pathway. I think winning begets winning. And to be frank, personally, I was pretty chuffed to do that. I was really worried with the MLS starting a new league out of scratch. you know. And to be fair, operationally and structurally, it was fantastic. I think integration internally has been, there's been growing pains with that on figuring out how to do that. I think in Europe, you know, if you have your U23 team, Saturday the main team team plays. If you don't, if you don't get in, you can play Sunday. Yeah. Our market makes it very difficult for that. Mm. So we have to play Friday. So then, okay, how do you plan that? How do you manage minutes? If a guy plays 45, how many can play with the Monarchs? You know, there's, there was a lot of nuance we had to figure out. I think the big key that we've done this year that's super helpful than that is named Cody Warden, Director of Methodology with the Monarchs and the Academy underneath. So what he does is he builds out curriculum, goals, perf- not individual performance goals, but hey, this week we're working on X. So when you guys play, let's make sure that that's a highlight of what mm-hmm. you're, you're telling the guys they need to work on. I'm going to come watch and see how we're doing that. I think having that now and, and having Law work with him and having the academy uh, coaches work with him has made that whole thing integrated. So th- that's in a great spot. Still, though, connecting that to the first team is getting very, very close, but it's also like, okay, how is the MLS going to work? What do we have to do? Because that's, that's important. That's what sure. we need to do. But how are we getting these guys these opportunities? So the Atlas game was perfect for that. You know, League's Cup, we're going to want to win, but I think you're going to see next year a lot more youth plugged into spots as the roster becomes collated and the ease of going um, down um, becomes easier with our new scheduling and everything like mm. that because there's just multiple pieces to put it together. It's not sure. just probably going, yeah, I'm not going to play those young guys. That's not the truth at all. It's all the difficulty in scheduling and how yep. we're doing that. So we just did our new schedule for Monarchs next year with an eye towards doing that built into when RSL is going to play, even though we don't have the schedule, um, making that ease back and forth and also working training times and, and scheduling out where kids can train up with the first team mm-hmm. and we can rotate that. And having a guy like Cody there that can note to the guy, hey, first team was training was good. You got to work on this, this, and this, get yeah. sign off on the coaches and then giving that back to the Academy of the Monarchs for them to work on individually. So look, as we built all this stuff and brought it in, the goal is to get better and better each year. And I think I'm really really hopeful for 23 in that. I think the whole system and ecosystem is is dialed in to, to be very good with that. Kind of at the other end, I guess, where would you identify successes, growth, opportunities on the academy side? Because obviously with Monarchs and MLS Next Pro, I think our average age came way down. Maybe throw out the first part of the year when we had nine first team entries and yeah. in addition to all the MLS Next Pro growing pains, it was it was chaos there for a minute. Um but how would you describe kind of where we're going now with Academy recruitment under John Spencer, the development of those kids, uh not just at the U fifteen, U seventeen level, but the ones and we saw a lot this year get opportunities with the monarchs. And like I mentioned, you know, then you have Axel playing great against Atlas. 
You have other guys. You know, we've been very aggressive. I think more than any, more than any other team of signing four, five, six academy guys to MLS deals every year, just so we are stabilizing and controlling that development path. Yeah, I. You, ooh, that's a big question, Trey. <laughs> but one, I think support and investment by ownership into that area, recognizing how how important it is, has been huge. Um, but also the bravery to do that and give the kids chances. When you talk about Monarchs, there's a philosophical question with all development teams in every league and every club. Do we care about results or do we care about minutes? Yeah. I think it has to be a blend of two because, as I said, I think winning begets winning. That's a culture piece, but yeah. winning can't come at the expense of development. 100%. So you can look in a vacuum look at the Monarch season and go, well, they won five games. This was not successful. But then you can take that and look at the Atlas game on how many of those kids have played three quarters, half, full seasons, two full seasons, and how they looked in that game. Mm. Right? Okay, we lost. I get it. Aaron's goal was super amazing. But look at the performance of those kids who've gone through the system and whereas struggling from the academy to, to even start the beginning of the season play a game because the pace is different, the size is different, mm -hmm. to getting on the field with a Liga MX team not looking scared and performing. That's success sure. to me, right? And that doesn't mean they're done. They're going to go back down and get more games. Yeah, Axel yeah, needs yeah. more games. Bodie needs more games. Jude needs a lot of games. But the fact that they now have the confidence and skill set to go into that game and play against those guys and not be shell-shocked or starstruck, that's the success. Mm. And they get more minutes with the first team, and they then they compete. Hearing you talk about that kind of reminded me of of how exciting it was to see the Monarchs, who, again, had a pretty dismal first half of the season. And then we had that international like U21 tournament in the middle. Those games against Wolves and Chelsea were awesome. Gavin Beavers taking the first penalty <laughs> kick and saving the penalty kick against Chelsea was awesome. Um, and then, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but didn't the Monarchs basically go 500 or a little better once Axel kind of got his feet under him and he's starting all the, those games in the back half of the season? Yeah, and first team had a bunch of injuries at the beginning of the season. Right. That affected the the uh, the squad. The Monarchs actually had a stretch of injuries as sure. well, and <clears throat> so at that last stretch, everyone was healthy. You had some time. You had all the guys fit, and and you really saw what that could be. And the great thing was that international championship was the switch. They mm. did very well, and then they had belief, and then they went in, yeah. and, and played well. Back to that, you know, we actually sent a bunch of the academy kids, the U15s, to Augsburg's turn tournament this year. Next year, we're sending the 17s to Crystal Palace's tournament. Mm. Those sorts of things, just like the trials, are very important to see how other teams play, how other teams do it, and the stakes, right? You're not just it going to school and sitting in Harriman, training in Harriman, playing MLS next teams. You're going and playing high-level teams. Mm. You're playing Juventus. You're playing Augsburg. You're playing Crystal Palace. Getting that at a young age really solidifies when you go on this training stint. You've seen a little bit of it. Now you're living a little more of it. Yeah. You know, soon we'll probably get immersed. Those, and then you get immersed. <laughs> yeah. All that does is help us on quality. Right. So you you talk about homegrowns. 
it's not just signing kids that are young. It's signing kids that have the mentality, the capacity, the technical, tactical, but also the experience in these places to come back and know what it all means. And that's what's important, right? It's not yeah. just, oh, I play soccer. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. What are you doing for the club? What's this club done for you? How special is it to come to the... Um, just a couple more questions. I know we, as fans, media, whatever, we generally just see guys 90 minutes a week, right, in whatever competition. I feel like we have seen massive growth and resources allocated to helping everybody under the sun when you know when we're, when we're not seeing those 90 minutes. So whether at the academy level it's it's teachers, it's tutors, it's people like Cody that are identifying pathways and Andrew and Jordan and Chris George, you know everybody. Um but I just feel like we've grown too in okay, what are we doing on the medical side? What are we doing on the uh, mental health side? What are we doing in all these other areas to help everybody from the newest U15 to Zach McMath? Again, this goes back to you know how grateful we are to ownership and Scott in recognizing the issues we had at the academy and how that is the most important piece to build out to begin with. And, and so, yeah, you're right. We, we added a mental health specialist that actually – lives in the in the dorms with with the kids he's also a performance um, psychologist as well to help with that we've added a whole education department with uh roxy luna and her group she she's an education specialist we have a college prep specialist and someone can help the kids apply if that's their pathway we have three tutors we've increased the size of our um, ra group as well um that area and 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 the great thing about that is from all of their other clubs, whether they're soccer or not, yeah. ownership 100% recognizes the importance of that in development. And so they've been super gracious with allowing us to grow that. And Tony's been on point for that mm. this last year. Um, and it's been incredible. And it really is resources. So the kids aren't just a number that are on the field. I mean, they're there 24-7. What are we doing to develop them as human beings? Right and and helping them out in any way possible. You know, Tony just held a parents' uh, town hall last night. And right. He's doing that two times, two or four times a year. But like, hey, what's going on with you? What are you hearing? What can we do better? How are you feeling? What can we do? So it's really, listen, you're bringing these kids in. I, I have a 14 year old son. He's actually two months older than Axel. That would give me concern if I didn't feel it was it was right. well. and and glowing reviews. And we have these relationships with the parents we can just call. But they also know if they're, hey, my son's homesick. Okay, hey, let's get him with Jordan. Maybe let's send him home for the weekend. You know, right. it's really holistic for each player. You know, and, and with, with you know, 63 total players living there, it's very important to individually develop each one. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. The two Bryans, Oviedo and Ojeda. Brian and Brian. <laughs> One's coming um, from England. The other's coming from Costa Rica after having been in England and and Denmark for better part of a decade and a half before they came here, you know, Pablo consistently praised their professionalism and mentality. And, you know, I think it was, it was hard, right? Because you sign them during the wind at the last day of the second window, immigration takes three weeks or whatever. They get here, 
we've got two three game weeks so they're they're not actually able to really train much with the team they're getting thrown in 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 some of these crazy games in LA and um at home Austin wherever but I think they both were they raised the level around them so you know we're gonna we're excited to watch Oviedo with Costa Rica in the World Cup this winter um Ojeda as a as a U22 on loan from Nottingham uh Forrest just looks to be every bit the complete player but you know he's young and he's improving but some of the things he he did at LA Galaxy home against Portland even at Austin were just surprising audacious or whatever you can see how much he solidified us as well so what did those guys say about the transition here? And I, look, I had brief conversations with both of them. They were both very gracious in both Spanish and English with, with the local folks. Um, but it seemed like that transition was pretty seamless. Yeah, I think the, the key there it, <clears throat> for Kurt and Elliot is finding good players that meet the culture, mm. right? Um, I remember, this was, must have been five years ago, we were talking to a winger in... Um, in uh, Holland and you know as part of recruitment process and all I could talk about was Vegas <laughs> and we're like well you're probably not gonna fit in here well with a lot of players with young families and do that right but they did the work they they found out that you know, not even found they knew and they were tra- they were tracking them like they knew how good they were but it was finding the fit and really one of Pablo's key things was the professionalism and lifting the level Mm. And, and they both did that. You know, I've had brief conversations with both, and they both love it here, and and they love the culture, and they were additive to it, right? It's yeah. not something you had to pull up into it. It was, right. oh yeah, this culture, I I dig it. This is what I'm looking for. I'm going to do what I do at training, and lift the level up. Um, I mean, Oviedo is just a consummate professional yeah. with so many years, and and uh, I know Pablo is happy, and he's he's told those he told you know, Kurt Nell the other day, he's like, man, you guys hit out of the park with those. But mm-hmm. that again goes back to the relationship with the coach. What are you looking for? What are your attributes? We like these guys. We think these guys match your culture. Yeah. Coach interviews them. He's like, yeah, I like these guys. And they come in and they do it. Right. So I'd say those are successful signings and both fantastic human beings. How would you describe the ways in which you saw Pablo evolve in his first year as, as kind of having the permanent gig as, 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 Opposed to the interim gig last year, I think I think at first there's a exhalation that you don't have the specter of right. you're the interim over you, right? But you know Pablo's Pablo in the sense that Pablo knows what he wants, where to go, and he knows how he wants his team psychologically and philosophically, and then throwing on on tactics above that, right? Like his whole thing is culture, like. That is number one. He has a group of senior players that he meets with daily. What's going on? What do we need to get get at? You know, what can we do to be better? What, I mean, it's the it's the evolution of always being better and being there for your guys, being the general that's there for your guys, right? And it's just more of that and solidifying that and the expectations with the staff, the expectations with the players, the expectations with the kids coming up. If you're coming to first team, this is what we expect. Yeah. You know, you pick up the balls. You know, everybody does that. Everybody bust their ass, you know, like that is the expectation and having that filtering all the way down. So there's just a collective vision and expectation. It's been fantastic. Um, real quick. Cause I know we got to wrap this up. When you look at, I don't know, man, even the last, let's just say 
four years, right? Five years. The volatility we referenced at the beginning, the different coaches, the different owners, the different playoff formats. And then we get to this year where, you know, January 6th of 2022, Blitzer and Smith are introduced. You sell out 17 games. Um, you get uh, one of the top, if not the top, naming rights stadium deals done. Um, and like you referenced it, people are talking about us again. They're not neutral. They can love it. They can hate it. They can simultaneously love and hate it like a lot of us do. Um, I guess just how would you, from your perspective, um, and you've done a lot of this over the last 45 minutes, but describe kind of that, that cultural shift and, you know, finding some stability, but still like growing in, in the right areas in the right ways. So how would you want to take 2022 as a jumping off point uh, going forward? I, I think it goes back to something I said earlier. There's been a lot of upheaval, a lot of bad times, right? But what was the consistency amongst all that stuff? It was the people. And I'd argue that the bad times have hardened them for the for for against bad, other bad times in the sense of okay we got another problem how do yeah. we succeed despite mm-hmm. we got another issue how do we succeed despite you know the fact that John Kimball and the business side have insanely crushed it this mm-hmm. year I th- I think that we've been on a path but with ownership coming in saying look we believe in you guys tell us where you want to go what do you need okay, well, we need you to do X, Y, and Z along with that. That's part of our global plan. But here's some breathing room. Show us you can do it. And then people going, hey, we kind of got out of the dark times a little bit, you know, or right, a lot. Right. Let's go do it. You know, let's do everything we were doing, but now let's do it without without the weight, you know. And and I think that's what you're seeing. And, and people want to come to work at Real and exceed expectations or mm-hmm. excel it's fun it's yeah. fun to do that oh you say we can do x well hey, we're gonna do y we're gonna do x plus that's just how everybody's built and i think even through all the period of ups and downs and comings and goings you've had a core group of people there that have gotten through all of that mm-hmm. with the same attitude and the same collective thought process and i'm there for the guy next to me in the trenches they're still there yeah. and they still believe they always believed they sure. knew they were having a bad time, but they're like, no, that's not, that's not what this is. Yeah. This, this isn't who we are. This is what the club's about. And they saw it through and they're still there. And, and now they have the support to even excel. I mean, the naming rights deal, you know, coming in this year, the sellouts, you know, and the players were, were still able to get and just the back end oh. operations nobody sees and, and excelling there. I just think that's the mentality of the club. And I think that's the special thing that needs to stay. Yeah. As I always tell everybody, no one's bigger than the club, and I know that's trite, but I also say, look, everybody here, you're just like, if there's the mosaic or stained glass of reality, you're just one small colored piece in that. This club's going to be here for a long, long yeah. time, maybe even after I'm not even around anymore. You know, if you look at some of the European clubs, they're hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of some years, years yeah. right? So one, you're here, and you're part of that. Plug into that and excel, but know that that whole collective just needs to keep moving after I'm here, I'm gone. The biggest compliment that I think we could take away from this year, Commissioner Garber, apparently at the All-Star Game, told a group of owners, if you guys can't figure out how to solve a problem, call Real Salt Lake. They've figured it out. In good times and bad over the last however many years, they found a way. 
and they'll continue to find a way. And that for a guy and I, you know, got the fortune of working for Don early in my career at the league and he's seen a lot of stuff in the NFL and certainly in his 20 years as, as commissioner, uh, he's seen a lot in this league and the sport as well. I just think that that is a, a testament to everything you and a lot of other people in and around the club. And, and certainly we would be nothing without our fans. Um, Don't sell yourself short. You're part of that too. Oh, man. thank you. But uh, thanks for being here today and uh, kudos to a great, 2022 and uh, look forward to seeing what uh, 2023 has in store look I do, I'm just happy to be the first to hit five I'll be honest with you you know for myself that's what'd you say 42 regular yeah 42 regular <laughs> okay <laughs> Merry Christmas I used to be athletic cl- cut but now I'm almost 50 and that's just not not working anymore now nah, man thanks for having me thanks to Ryan for manning the boards he's the man Ryan is the man um this is always fun and I like digging into all this stuff with you well cool preseason's right around the corner but this will be the longest off season in probably any of our uh soccer career so enjoy it uh, watch the world cup and i'm sure we'll catch up with you shortly after the first of the year thanks rob rob zarcos evp soccer operations real salt lake real monarchs rsl academy and so so much more so thank you 